Pretty Mental is about accepting our full selves and inspiring others to do the same by being daringly unfiltered. This means completely normalizing all things mental health and the wild journey that has brought us here. We are challenging the stigmatization of normal human suffering, and we are done pretending and subscribing to the notion that it is taboo to have challenging mental health experiences. Welcome to the Pretty Mental Health Club, and enjoy the show. Hey, Valentina. Hey, Paula. And hello, everybody. And welcome to another episode of Pretty Mental. Today, Today boom, boom, boom. we spoke to Kristen Giorgi. She's been on this podcast before. She is a good friend of us, of ours. And we absolutely love you, Kristen. We love you, Kristen. This was, it's so courageous and so amazing of her to come on the podcast and talk about and have this conversation openly with us on body dysmorphic disorder because it's usually one of the types of OCD or mental health challenges that gets the least attention just because there's so much shame inherent in that topic. And so uh, Kristen and I both really opened up about our struggles with body dysmorphia and tried to throw in a bunch of tools in there too for you guys. So, you know, hopefully it'll bring in all of the value that it possibly can. We are so excited to share this conversation with you guys. Thank you for being on this journey with us. Thank you for tuning in. We love you so much. And as always, Pretty Mental Family, take in a deep breath with us. And tune in. It is 11.45 a.m. January 13th, 2020, and we are on Pacific Coast time. We are opening ourselves up entirely. We are calling in all of our spirit guides, our angels, our ancestors. We are opening ourselves up to align with whatever messages are coming through for the highest healing of our community, for the highest healing of ourselves, and for the highest healing of whoever our community comes in contact with. We open ourselves up to total authenticity. We release any doubt, any fear, and we surrender to whatever is coming through. We invite in joy, we invite in abundance, we invite in love, we invite in pure, honest messages. The portal is now open. Kristen Giorgi. Hey guys, I'm back. She is Bizak. <laughs> She's back. <laughs> So uh, the conversation that we are about to dive into today is a pretty courageous one because body dysmorphic disorder, body dysmorphia is rooted in shame to begin with. And there, I mean, I've worked with clients for over a year before they even feel comfortable enough to open up to me about physical insecurities. And even then, now it only, it, it, most of the time it even only happens because I bring it up. Right. You start to hear the patterns and what they're saying. Yeah. Exactly. And also there's the other part of like body with body dysmorphia that it's, it's like a consistent, persistent doubt over physical appearance. So if you have somebody like your therapist or anybody talking to you about it, part of the issue is doubting whether they're even being honest because the question is like, I am the thought, the belief rooting all of it is I, I am actually deeply flawed. So like, I don't know if I can even believe you mm-hmm. if you tell me anything otherwise. So when I saw your post on Instagram mm-hmm. and this is something that we had tapped into a little bit with you, I don't remember if we did on the podcast or just in conversations with each other, but right when I saw your post on Instagram, I was like, okay, like it's time. Let's see if Kristen will come on and and talk about this. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I think it's just this, these last couple of years have just been, I feel like a moment for me to just come forward with, you know, all of these mental health issues that I possess. And I think by doing so 
like you said, what do you call it? Um, exposure therapy, like you were talking about before. And that's kind of like, I think part of my journey with speaking up about all of these mental health issues that I have, it sort of helps me get through them. So so it's the same thing for me. I think you and I, we actually, we have a lot of the, a, a lot of similar patterns or parallel mm-hmm. struggle with. I didn't realize how much of an OCD brain I had until I became an OCD specialist, which is kind of ironic. And then, you know, with body dysmorphia, I didn't realize that that was part of what I struggled with until I started kind of backtracking through the history of my life. And so I'm like, okay, let's get on this and talk about it together because it actually, it has nothing to do with what you actually look like. And that's what people don't really understand. And that, and that's why a lot of people are actually scared to talk about it because they're afraid of being perceived as vain or overly obsessed with just their physical appearance. But it's really just another manifestation of obsessive compulsive disorder. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I think with it, it's been something that I I didn't recognize until I was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder as well. I think it was just like, it was normal. Um, all women have insecurities about their body. It was more like thought of as like, just, oh, it's insecurities, you know? Like, if you work out more and you take care of your body more, like, it will cure itself when you reach that final goal. And the thing is, it that's not it. People that have it, there's there's never going to be a reaching a goal. It's a, it's a change in your mindset and the way you talk to yourself. That is only way it's going to quote unquote, cure itself, and it'll never be cured. I don't feel like I will ever be cured of this. I think it, I've, I've made decisions now in, you know, the later part, later part of my life. Now that, you know, I'm in my late thirties, I think I've just like started to tell myself certain things like you have to accept. I've been, I've been, you know, skinny. I've been muscular. I've been, fluffier, whatever you want to call it. And they all feel the same. So it's like getting to that point of acceptance and just being so happy with what you have is really the only way that, that it's going to get better. It's, it's a challenging of the compulsion too. Yeah. I mean, it's, I would say, and, you know, just to talk about how everything's been over the past year, I think for people that do have this, it's probably been a lot worse. We spend a lot more time at home. There, we're staring in the mirror. You know, there's less to do. We're working out less. You know, like there's just there's certain things I think that have perpetuated it for people that possess this over the last year. So I would say it has been bad for me. <laughs> you know, but it's just that continuing to tell yourself, no, I'm not going to be like this. I don't want to be like this. I don't want to think like this. I want to keep trying to change it. And I think it is so much of the shame that keeps it going because I've actually heard more, I would say, since the pandemic started than before. Mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of, and especially women, I don't hear it so much from men, but women talking about how they're just waiting to lose all the weight that they've gained during this pandemic or they need mm-hmm. to, or they have become more fluffier. There's just been such a higher focus yeah. on that. And I feel like that is what keeps that cycle going instead of being able to approach it. And like, this is just, there's waves in life, there's phases in life and, Mm -hmm. and just having more, I mean, it's so much easier said than done having compassion with yourself as you know, this is like a whole new world we're living in being Mm -hmm. stuck inside of our houses. But for sure, that's, it's something that I've, I've definitely seen a rise of since the pandemic. Yeah. That's the thing. I think you know, I was reading before this just to get a few stats, but because I was interested, but it's like one in 50 people have this disorder or whatever. And I would say that probably that isn't updated at this point for this year, because I, I think, you know, so many people have gained weight. So many people have, you know, this and that over the last year. And I think it's, you know, it's just like a new thing that's creeped into people's minds. Well, also not even to mention like, we have an image folk obsessed society. So most people are probably that might be experiencing this are thinking of it as like insecurities or actually this is normal just because it's what I'm exposed to every single day. And you don't realize that actually, okay, no, it's not normal. 
and now it's taking over my life a lot of times until you have somebody else mirror it back to you. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to backtrack a little bit and I'm just going to read what the DSM diagnosis is just so we all kind of an idea and the listeners too of like what the research and how the field is describing body dysmorphia at this point. Basically like the most fundamental definition of it is a preoccupation with one or more perceived defects or flaws in physical appearance that are not observable or appear slight to others. So the question isn't so much whether or not it really is there. It's how preoccupied we are with particular features or physical body parts. So the obsession. The obsession. Yeah. So this mm-hmm. is the next part of it is at some point during the course of the disorder, the individual has performed repetitive behaviors like mirror checking, excessive grooming, skin picking, reassurance seeking, or mental acts like comparing his or her appearance with that of others in response to the appearance concerns. Mm-hmm. So what I just described, the first part that I described is the obsession and the second part are the compulsions. And then the third part is the preoccupation causes clinically significant levels of distress and or impairment in social occupational areas or some other important area of functioning. So that's like the third part. It's like, how does it impact our life? So typically we would categorize anything as like clinically significant um, levels of distress or preoccupation if you're spending like, and this is just kind of arbitrary, but just to kind of give it some framework, if you're spending like Mm -hmm. one or more hours a day obsessing over it, right? Mm-hmm. And for those of us that have experienced this, I think we know like when it's at its highest, it, it's pretty persistent. Yeah. And, and it can drive you crazy. You feel like you're crazy. You like- then the depression creeps in too. Cause you're just like, I want to stop doing this. Like I want to stop this, you know, the depression and the social anxiety too. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. There's been, there's been many times where, you know, before the pandemic where I would like not go out because I didn't like how my jeans were fitting or something, which is like, talking about it out loud it sounds absolutely nuts but but when it's real and you're living with it and you're dealing with it like you know how strong that feeling can be of just like and you just you feel so in distress like you just want to like jump out of your skin almost yeah jump out of your skin exactly yeah it's so overwhelming that feeling it's so real it is it becomes your reality when I think back to the days when I was modeling and I was surrounded by messages and people telling me all the time that I needed to shrink my hips and shrink this and shrink that. I started seeing my own body as, I mean, I'm like, oh my God, I could not be more imperfect because you're constantly getting all of these messages. And I remember there were weeks at a time where I would just disappear from the world because I couldn't leave my house because I didn't feel ready to, to have eyes on me. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. just as you were saying, it's like, you don't feel quote unquote perfect enough or good enough to leave the house. And it's like, sure. And what even is that? When you have it and then it's so much perpetuated by outside sources, like, you know, for me, and I'm not going to name anybody, I don't want to put anybody down, but you know, it started from a young age. Like I have one side of my family that is very obsessed with appearance and body and it's talked about a lot and food is talked about a lot and it's always been kind of the focus over everything else so you know to start about the history of how this I guess came to be a part of my life I would say it really all started there and then it is perpetuated by you know I've had friends in my life who they're projecting their own issues onto you and then therefore you know, you're affected by it. And the smart part of you knows that it's projection, but the part of you that's still quote unquote weak um, is thinking that they are thinking these things about you when they're really not. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's, it's such a combination. My brain is going so many places right now. I know. I know there's so much to cover. (laughs) It's hard. Uh, But when I'm here, Valentina talking about it, you know, it's, it, it, what it brings up for me is like, it's not a concrete line between when it's image anxiety and when it crosses over to being body dysmorphia, which is like OCD, right? Mm-hmm. Body dysmorphia is a form of OCD that just happens to have its own name because it's very specific content, but it's not right. a concrete line, right? Mm-hmm. I think one way it, we can go in and out of it. And I, you know, I've experienced this. I'm sure you've experienced this. There's times where it feels just more like a kind of anxiety about it. 
Yes. And there are times where it feels like, oh, this is OCD. Like, this is so obsessive that it's almost like there's somebody screaming inside of my head at me over this. Totally. And you just, like you said, I can't even explain it better. Just you want to jump out of your skin. Like, how do I end this? Yeah. What do I do? Exactly. And so, like, I would say, oh, and actually, like, suicidal ideation is very common course because if you don't like the physical vessel that you're in you know for a lot of people what can happen with this disorder if it doesn't get challenged and depending how how intense it's getting for them like they'll start avoiding going out and even you know having the mindset of like other people like shouldn't look at me like i I can't be looked at Mm -hmm. like this yeah i've been there yeah i've been there too Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think Valentino is saying like, she's been there too with the modeling. So yeah. I would say like in the society that we live in, most people experience appearance anxiety because of the nature of the conditioning that we're dealing with here and the way that it's through social media and celebrities and, and all that stuff. It becomes body dysmorphic disorder when it's just persistent and it doesn't go mm-hmm. away. And every time that life gets a little more stress- stressful, that voice picks back up. Yeah. Right. Have you noticed that mm-hmm. pattern? I definitely notice it in myself and in the clients. Oh my gosh, so much. And I think a lot of it has to do with control too. Mm-hmm. Like when it creeps in, I feel so out of control. I just am like grasping onto something that can make me feel like I'm not spinning out of control. And, you know, really the thing that I come back to often is just exercise. And then at that point, it's not even to like get thin. It's just like to make me feel sane and to get a grasp on myself and feel my body and feel the vessel and all of that and like ground myself back to earth. And that's really like the only way for me to make it better usually is when I'm active. Yeah. Being active helps me a ton. And that's something that has changed over the years from like my childhood to now where before Mm -hmm. it used to be more of like a self punishing thing. Totally. um, Where I had to like exercise excessively to kind of try to fix myself. Yeah. You'd almost do it like in an angry way. I remember doing that before, like exercising in an angry way. Yeah. Like I was, I would, like, I was actually physically trying to almost harm myself in a mm-hmm. way. Yeah. yeah. So then, it, yeah, that's how it is. Like a punishment. Like a punishment. <laughs> yeah. It's a punishment versus now, I think mm-hmm. the place where we're all at now, or you and I, and, and more so, I want to, I, I, I kind of have to, to stay sane. I'm going to yeah. keep functioning yeah. in this society. Like I'm going to have to release some physical energy. So, in that aspect, I feel like I have finally transitioned over to like, okay, exercise is an act of self-love, not mm-hmm. an act of self-hate. At least for now, right. that's how it goes. But the other part of it too is challenging the com- the other compulsions that kind of keep it alive, that keep the obsession alive. So right. that's like mirror checking, right? Which like I've done tons of. If that's I right. don't keep an eye on it, I can look at the mirror excessively too much this is something that they that they're finding out in the research is that people that have a tendency that go from it just being appearance anxiety to it being actual body dysmorphic disorder they're finding that there there's actually a correlation with having an overactive visual system so that means that most people when they look at faces or they look at bodies they just go for like the immediate cues that are what they need social information which is the eyes and like what is the mouth doing is that person friendly or not like what's the body um what's the body language telling me but when you you, when your brain has a tendency to be obsessive coupled with like that overactive visual system your eyes will jump around almost like not knowing where to land oh gosh yeah I mean I think it's like not to bring being an artist into it but I feel like that's probably a lot of it that has to do with it. Like I've just always been so visual. I'm a visual learner. Everything's visual. I will remember a face like for 10 years, I could meet someone one moment for five minutes and then see them 10 years later and recognize their face, you know, stuff like that. It's like, I literally can just download it all in like a second. So of course, when I'm staring at myself and then see myself again a week later and something's changed, like I'm going to notice it. And it's because I can just remember that so easily, you know, for better, for worse, it's part of the obsession. So. Yeah, exactly. And also like that jumping that like overactive visual system can have us just landing on certain features mm-hmm. and kind of getting stuck there. Yeah. You know, Cause the whole thing with OCD is just like a brain lock. 
And so as you get stuck there in whatever physical feature that is, and now you're, you start seeing it out of proportion to the rest of the face, you're no longer looking at it in contact. Right. Or the body, you're no longer looking at it in contact, whether, whereas when most people look at us or at each other, like you're looking at the whole system. The whole picture, exactly. We're mm-hmm. looking at the whole picture. Right. But when, you have, when your mind has a tendency to be obsessive around imagery, you can get really stuck on yeah. particular one place. part. It's all you see. You know, like I, I look at my artwork like that too. I'll, you know, be working on a piece and I'm, I'm only staring at this one part, obsessing over it. It's like, it's my whole life. <laughs> just like obsessing over what I see. I mean, it's not just the body. It's like all encompassing. Well, and then, I mean, art is so interesting because, you know, I make art too. And it's like, at the same, it can be obsessive. And at the same time, it actually can be healing. Yes, right? absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because you're also kind of creating coherent pieces. And you're, especially with your work, right? Like you're realizing that when things happen spontaneously, unexpected, unplanned. Yeah, like organically, yeah. Mm-hmm. Organically, they can turn out to be beautiful in their own way. Exactly. You know, there's a few different components to to kind of struggling with this and a a big part of it too is just those initial messaging that we got around the physical appearance because it's not just having an obsessive brain it's also like the conditioning that we the messages that we received around it but now like if somebody that doesn't have obsessive brain tendencies gets that messaging they might just kind of take it in acknowledge it maybe get a little anxiety about it Mm -hmm. but not get so stuck yeah I envy those people so much. <laughs> when I see those people, I'm like, I, I can pick you out of a lineup. Like, I know when you're just chilling, you know, oh, I gained five pounds, whatever. Like, you know, I don't give a shit. It's, it's pretty amazing. But, you know, like you said, it's just, it's, it's a mental health disorder. So. So something that I can speak to from my side of things is I, I would say, I approach this slightly different from where you guys are coming from or how it affected me. So how it affected me the most was because of what other people were telling me I had to look like. I didn't so much get stuck on certain features or for me, it wasn't so much of an OCD thing, but mine was, it became an OCD thing because people were telling me that I had to look a certain way in order to basically be loved and accepted. And I was hearing those messages Oh my God, left and right. And right. So it was, you were quantifying it and and deciding your worth based upon what you were hearing. Completely. For Mm -hmm. me, I was, I didn't know what I looked like, or I didn't really take my physical appearance so seriously until people started pointing out to me that I had to. Mm -hmm. And something that is just so important in this conversation is boundaries. Because I literally had to go around to my family. I had to go to my aunts and my uncles and my grandparents and my friends. And I was like, y'all got to stop talking about my body. Like enough is enough. Because I'm not trying to hyper-focus on my fucking vessel when I want to live all life. And it, it boxes you in where I remember I would wake up every single morning. And the first thing I would do is just maybe check if I had gained weight, check if something changed, changed. And I got to a point where I was like, this is so sickening and my life is so limited and confined to what I look like Yeah, that I, I just got so fed up. And I literally did just tell everyone around me, I'm like, do not make comments about what I'm eating. Don't tell me if I'm eating too much, if I'm eating too little, if I gain weight, I sure. lost weight. Don't tell me how I look. Don't tell me I look beautiful. Don't tell me anything. Sure. And that should, that should almost be like a practice within groups of friends and family is just like all deciding as a group, as a community to like take that part out of it. You know, like there's certain times where we can compliment each other and like that shouldn't be taken away. Like that's a beautiful thing, you know? But I think when it's something that as a group or like as friends or, you know, like your little pod during this time or whatever, it's important for, for everyone to shift their focus onto other things versus, you know, appearance. I think it can be as a group, it can be even more damaging. It is because then you realize, oh, you know how you should show up for certain people because that's mm-hmm. how they'll accept you. So then, for example, if you're not feeling good enough to show up for a certain person, then you start limiting how social you can be. If right. that makes sense. And and you should have and people need to evaluate how their groups of friends and people surrounding them make them feel. I've done this so many times in my life. Where I mean, family we can't really get rid of. So that's like okay. When you're with them, you gotta be like, guys, 
don't talk about my body today, you know, like, I'm not here for this. But, you know, with groups of friends, it's making those decisions, like, do these people make me feel good? Do these people make me, um, you know, feel my best self and make me want to show up that way? Or do they make me feel worse? You know, and I've had I've had plenty of people in my life that that do that. And I've decided to slowly, you know, weed them out. Because I, you know, as I've made this decision later in my life, I want I want to feel good as much as I can. Totally. Mm-hmm. And I, I know when I started telling people, you know, that I, I was very aware that a lot of the, com- I mean, I mean, all of the comments that mm-hmm. were being said about my body or how much I was eating or wasn't eating, they came from people who had their own body dysmorphia. Right. That's what I say, like projection, as I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Totally. Someone who's just living very freely and they understand that your body fluctuates, life fluctuates and also whatever, this is just your vessel, enjoy it. Mm-hmm. They're not going to come out here and being like, and comment, they're not going to nitpick on how you look or how your clothes fit or what you're eating. Mm-hmm. And I realized, yeah, I just slowly had to start backing away from people or just tell them like, Hey, no, yeah. <laughs> just, just don't comment on my stuff. And when when I really got really serious about my boundaries, I swear that it really started, those mindsets for me started melting off and I was able to live just as me. Mm-hmm. The problem is, and that's, well, yeah, that's actually really important. And I'm glad you brought that up because I actually do talk about that with clients too. It's like, we can't just work on it, on, on your mindset and like you challenging your compulsions. I encourage them and sometimes they have to build up to this because it's intimidating to bring this up even with with families for people sometimes um, because there's a vulnerability factor too, sure. you know? So, but talking to families and being like, Hey, I am, while I work on this in therapy, I'm actually going to ask you guys to help me out and refrain from making comments about my appearance because it just adds to the fixation on it. Right. Absolutely. Even if they're encouraging you, like for someone if they're, you know, they're trying to lose weight or whatever, like even if it's comments that the person feels like are positive, it still can have a negative effect on the person with the disorder. It can because what happens is that then there, there it feeds back into that sensitivity to being hyper aware of our appearance, whether it's good or bad, and then feeling like other people are hyper aware of our appearance. And because there's so much there's shame around the appearance, then even if they're perceiving it as good, now there's pressure to keep it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the pressure to keep it that way. That's the other, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a whole nother thing. Yeah, that's a whole nother thing. The thing, so, you know, just to add to what Valentino's saying too, it's like, if you don't have this as OCD, it's a little easier to let go off once you put those boundaries in place. But if you have this as a form of OCD, even if people aren't commenting anymore, you've kind of internalized the compulsion yourself, you know? So even if the world is being kinder to you now, it's like now you're the one that has like kind of like picked up that baton. Yeah. And that obsessive voice continues to like reinforce. It's only up to you. You know, we are the only ones that can change that, that voice inside of our heads that's trying to tell us something. And I think the first, I mean, definitely like the first part is just awareness. If it feels like the concern with the appearance is obsessive, then it probably is obsessive. And if you start paying attention to start paying attention to whether or not it gets more intense when you're going through more stress, because then, you know, like that's okay. So this is just a coping mechanism that at some point my brain decided could help me gain a sense of control over my life when things were feeling out of control was that I could focus the attention back on my appearance. I didn't realize how much that was there for me until actually last night I was reading a di- my diary because I kept diaries since I was eight years old or seven. And, and I had this period in middle school and sixth grade when these girls, specifically this one girl was so mean to me. And every single week I'd be like reporting how she was treating me, <laughs> right? And then at the very end, I'd be like, oh, I weigh 87 pounds now. I need to lose five. Oh, God. Isn't that crazy? Oh, wow. Yes. So young at it just, seven. Yeah, it breaks my heart. But like, I I hear you. Like, I, the way of thinking for me, it went back so, so far. And so again, far. like, I don't blame my family. You know, they were just given what the people before them gave them. You know, like, it's just... 
They didn't, which, they didn't know that our brains were going to react. In they that didn't way. know. And it's like, the only thing I can do now is, you know, for anyone listening, that's doesn't know who I am. I have an eight year old daughter and I, you know, I know that I can't take all of the, this pressure to be, you know, a certain way. I know I can't take all of that away from her. Um, cause she's going to experience it from other people and outside sources that I can't, you know, I can't manage and contain, but you know, I'll be damned if she gets any of it from me at this point, because I just don't want her to have to go through what, what I've gone through. Yeah. It's tough. It's, you know, just looking back, I'm like, Oh my God, you know, I didn't realize like every, at such a young age to start reporting my weight to my diary. Yeah. And, every entry and even more so when I was going through to stressful times like at that mm-hmm. age you don't even have like the cognitive capacity to realize that's what's happening but that is what's happening so the first step is to just recognize we all have quote-unquote flaws in our appearance I guess you know mm-hmm. and some people may not even like that term because it's like what are flaws like who determines right. what are they exactly yeah that's what another is it depends on what group you're in because I've been in a group of models where the skinny was the focus I've been in a group of really fit muscle girls where it's like how toned can we get I've been right. in a, so it's like I've been in a group of thicker girls who I'm like I love being fluffy with y'all like totally. <laughs> so, so what the, like I know it's so hard to decide where you fall because it's right. like where- it's, everyone looks different. There's yeah. no ideal. There's no, it's just, it all really comes back to how comfortable can I be with myself, regardless of yeah. what messages are, are around me and coming at me. And how can I really, really just step so deeply into my own power that I can actually see these messages for what they are, which they're just constructed ideas that have nothing to do with me. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, like, as I, I said before, like all the different ways I've felt about my body in the past have never changed how anyone else has ever felt about me. It's, you know, it's all up here in our heads. That's where it all is. The only way that it could change how other people feel about us is because if we continue to feed the compulsion and the obsession, then it's going to change how we interact with others. The first step in BDD treatment is awareness and, and that awareness requires recognizing that as much as the obsession wants to be right about the idea that there is one right way to look, that it's actually socially constructed. And depending on what country you go to, it can, it's going to be different. Depending on what time period we've been in as humans, it's going to be different. Yeah. So the first step in bringing awareness is realizing that it is socially constructed as much as like we don't want to believe it, you know, and part of it mm-hmm. for me, this process of healing from it has been thinking of it in terms of like, you know what, when we talk about our relationships with other people, mm-hmm. you hear this saying of like, do you want to be right? Or do you want to feel peace in the relationship? Mm-hmm. Do you want to have peace in the relationship. Right. And recently I started thinking with myself, like, does my, do I, do I want to be right? about like my appearance or do I want to experience peace you know so it's like surrendering also being willing to surrender the notions that we've had about what's considered beautiful or not and then also going even below that and it's a constant it's a constant surrendering you Mm -hmm. know especially more so it takes commitment because of all the messaging that we get you know it's like on one end you're clearing it out and on the other end you're getting oh yeah just the second you feel like you flushed it out comes right back in with something else yeah Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a conscious awareness. It's a waking up every day and asking yourself, okay, like, what am I surrendering today? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It has you to know? be a practice, truly. It's a practice. It's not necessarily an arriving. It's a practice. Mm-hmm. But it does, it gets more comfortable over time. And just choosing to to surrender, wanting to be right, and then going even below that and also acknowledging, like, what is the core belief that I have around this? You know, is it that, like, in order to receive love, I have to look this one particular way? Right. Oh, and I want to talk about, too, kind of jumping onto that, is, like, how we feel about other people. When I look at everyone else, I mean, bigger, smaller, race, everything, I, like, I see everyone just beautiful, you know? So it's, like, how do I bring what I see into how I see myself, And I think that's been part of my practice too, is like, I see this girl, you know, and 
you know, she may feel like she has like a million flaws, but I see her all, her whole parts, you know, like we said, the whole part, the whole thing all together as just so beautiful. And so I think about that when I'm going through those times also, Mm -hmm. just thinking like, Oh, I'm that too. Like I am that too. I'm what I see right there. Yeah. A hundred percent. We forget that. And then we go and we look in the mirror or we get these, get the camera phone and just focus in on particular features or particular things. And it's not that. So like part of healing from it is also refraining from those compulsions to mirror check and to check the appearance. It's just kind of like recognizing what compulsions we're engaging in that are keeping it alive. Mm-hmm. And starting to starve those. So getting below the core belief as well of like, okay, I want to look this particular way because I want to be loved, you know, Mm -hmm. or I want to look this particular, if I look this particular way, then I will be accepted. Then people will be kind to me. And what ends up happening is that if we never challenge that, we spend our whole life trying to mold ourselves and pick at ourselves and formulate ourselves in such a way to finally get the right reaction out of people. When in reality, the way that people react to us has nothing to do with us. No, it's what's inside that is what people react to, you know, and the, the sooner we can gain that confidence, like so many other things in life open up, you know, Valentina, you've talked about that before. Like once you like truly like feel that confidence and discover yourself and know who you are, like so many other doors open up and that's the thing. So many other doors. When you start developing your relationship yourself mm-hmm. to yourself as number one above all else, everything else just starts falling into place. Yeah, exactly. People can sense when you accept yourself fully and wholly, and they want to be around you. You know, they just want to like feed off of what you're what you're putting out there. Because you know what, I, if you're if you accept yourself then you're comfortable around other people. And mm-hmm. if you're comfortable around other people, then they're comfortable around you. And that's often something that like we miss where it's like, oh no, like I didn't say the right thing. I didn't behave the right way. Kind of like just focusing on the external. What, what could I have done different versus it's actually no, like are, was I comfortable with myself during that interaction? Cause mm-hmm. if I wasn't comfortable, then like that, the other person can pick up on the discomfort too. Kristen, what would you say is the the thing that, you know, was there like a shift for you where you were like, no more, like shit has to change? Yeah, I think I wouldn't say that it's something that like, you know, smacked me in the face or anything, but I would really say kind of over the last year is when I really just started to get fed up with how I felt about myself and just like the, the compulsions and, you know, just focusing so much every day on what I looked like. And I guess I could say, so I talked about this a little bit, um, maybe in the last podcast, but that, you know, I had Vivian, um, she's eight. So I had her eight years ago. And after I had her, there was this whole other part of, you know, body, dysmorphia issues that was brought to me, which was what happens to your body after pregnancy. And, you know, not only had I my whole life just been dealing with trying to stay a certain size or fitting into a certain, you know, fitting into certain clothes. Now I had all these other quote unquote issues with myself of what happens post baby, which is a lot of loose skin and really saggy breasts and, you know, all of those lovely things. So those were added on to what I already felt. And for a couple of years, I searched for a surgeon. I knew I wanted to get um, what they call a mommy makeover, which is basically like a tummy tuck and then also um, a breast lift and breast implants coupled with that. And so I thought, okay, after I get this, like, I'm going to feel so great. Like, this is just going to be it for me. I, I, you know, I think so many of my problems are going to go away of how I feel about myself and I did it. So I did it. And then a couple months after, you know, during the, you know, recovery phase, I started to slip into a really deep depression and I'm sure a lot of it had to do with anesthesia. You know, I've, I've read and heard a lot about how that can happen after surgery. And so there were other things coupled with it, but, you know, a lot of it was just, me realizing that no matter what I did to myself, even something as extreme as surgery, 
can make me, you know, feel like I've arrived to this place where I am like 100% happy with myself. The only thing that can change it is what I'm telling myself in my head. It's not what I'm doing. It's not anything someone else can do to my body. It's not anything I can do to my body. It's a decision. And I think it was really after the surgery was when I was like, okay, enough. Like you've literally gone under the knife, bitch. Like just it's time. And I'm happy with everything that, that, and I, I don't regret getting it. I do feel like, you know, for actually health reasons, it was a good idea as far as like the tummy tuck. Like I couldn't reach certain you know, physical goals as far as working out because my abdominals were completely separated. There was a huge hole in between them and I had a hernia above my belly button, you know, like things that just aren't good for you to have that really, if you can fix them should be fixed. So, you know, it's more now I like, I think about those. I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm so happy now that I can like do this many sit-ups and feel good about that because, you know, I was able to get the surgery to make me just actually internally operate the way that I typically should, you know? So, but anyways, that was to go back to it. Sorry, I kind of went off on a tangent, but, um, I think it was after I kind of healed from the surgery and, and healed emotionally and mentally, cause I got on antidepressants after the surgery. Finally, when I realized like, Oh shit, still not feeling good. Better figure this out. Has nothing to do with body has everything to do with me mentally. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think that's when I finally just all decided that it was time. Like I'm done feeling this way. I want to be happy with myself for the rest of my life. I've been given and blessed with so many things, you know, a beautiful body, you know, like I need to be happy with it. I need to be grateful. I had, um, yeah, I had a dream recently that, you know, I actually shaman Durek, we've talked about him on the podcast before as a shaman. And I had a dream recently where he popped into, into my dream. And, um, I was walking on like a bridge on like, a, almost like this edge of a bridge. And he was like, the only thing that's going to keep you balanced is gratitude. And he talked about popping into people's dreams, which is interesting. But I was like, you know, that was, it's something. When the obsession, when the momentum is too high, there's almost like no room for that gratitude. So before you can even try to reach the gratitude, you got to start challenging the obsession. So it's like what you were saying, Chris, and it was no longer about, you finally realized like, okay, this isn't like just about the body. This isn't an objective situation this pattern of thinking in which my mind has a tendency to focus on quote unquote flaws or imperfections in my human vessel and amplify them and obsess mm -hmm. over them repeatedly, 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 repeatedly to the point that I compulse. And then the moment that I compulse, the obsession gets mm -hmm. heightened. And so like getting something changed in our physical appearance is not going to change that thinking pattern. Absolutely not. And that's a huge message that I just want to like drop to whoever's listening. Like if you think that's going to change how you feel, I mean, it can, like, it can, it can help. I mean, it, it, people do it for a reason. And I'm all about people feeling better about themselves, you know, like doing things, but, but that's the thing. Is it going to make you feel better about yourself? You have to ask yourself that before you do something so extreme. You know, and you don't, and sometimes you don't know though. That's, you don't know how it's going to make you feel. You don't. And you have the thing, it all boils down to these inherent beliefs that we have. So even if you have this belief that if you alter how you look, then everything will be okay. That still boils down to an inherent belief that you are not already whole. So even if you get the surgery or you get something done or whatever, you're still going to be walking around with the belief that you are not whole. And that's going to manifest in another way. So it all comes back down to fixing mm -hmm. the beliefs that you are following to guide your life and getting super serious about them because, you know, I mean, I can't really speak entirely from the OCD side of when your brain locks into something. I, mean, I did experience it when I was younger, but I know Paula, even just from your background and in, in your knowledge and studying with it, you can probably speak to it more. But you just got to get very, very serious about like, okay, am I fed up enough? Am I fed up enough? Like how I need to start exposing myself. I need to start reclaiming my life because this is just not it. It's a combination of the beliefs and also challenging the compulsions. With, when it comes to OCD, you can't just try to change the belief because trying to change the belief can be like just your, your, the belief is already irrational. 
So it's like you're using the same consciousness around that topic, which is irrational, to try to shift something that's irrational. And so like that's actually a mistake that a lot of therapists make is treating OCD like regular anxiety, which is they'll try to like challenge the idea or get, you know, disagree with it or find evidence against it or not. But the problem with OCD is that the more that you go into challenging it rationally, it can take you deeper into the focus and the obsession around it. Right. Because it's already not rational. So you can't get fixated on that. You know, like when I have clients that come in with like content around suicidal ideation, for example, or like that, that's what the OCD focuses on. If the therapist doesn't know that it's OCD, they'll try to like treat it and try to challenge the ideas and treat it like trying to rationalize through it versus no, like this is just a thought that keeps popping in and you're locked into it. So we actually have to challenge it through behavioral exposures. Like don't even worry about whether or not it makes sense Just stop doing the things. And as you stop doing the things or you refrain from the compulsions, you start to starve the obsession little by little. Once the obsession is a little more starved, there's a little more, there's more wiggle room to start bringing in those beliefs. Like, so it's got to come from both angles. I definitely do see the power in that. And I remember you, you almost have to, as you said, expose yourself to prove to yourself that you're going to be okay. Cause I remember back in the height of my eating disorders, body dysmorphia, where there were pants that I was just convinced that if I put those pants on, I was going to see that they could barely go up to my knees and I was going to freak out. And I was going to, it was just going to go down into a fucking black hole. And then I had one of those days where I was like, okay, no, if, if they don't fit, they don't, they just don't fit. I'm going to buy new jeans. I want to feel good about myself. I'm not going to wear these sweatpants or these old raggedy jeans every single day. And so I made myself, I was like, regardless of how these fit mm-hmm. or whatever is going to happen, I'm going to put them on and then I'm going to move yeah. forward and I'm going to, you know, just keep taking step by step. <laughs> and that was so powerful for me. I don't remember if they fit or not, but whatever, <laughs> whatever happened after that. Exactly. It's about, it's about reclaiming as much of your life as you can, regardless of what the beliefs are telling you. And then just little by little, it's, it's kind of like you got to act like it and move like it when it comes to OCD. Because it's like the OCD can tell you like you can't like everyone's going to be staring at you if you go out in public. Like, so don't do it. Then you got to go out in public and you got to do it and you got to interact and you got to tell yourself that like you're increasing your comfort zone and you got to raise your tolerance for that discomfort rather than trying to keep it nice and cozy. Cause the more nice and cozy that you try to keep it and you know, the more that you're actually strengthening it and then it takes on a life of its own. It's not even, that's the problem too, is that people want to rationalize with body dysmorphia almost like, well, you know, you're exaggerating or, you know, kind of like they feel threatened by, us having picked this up from conditioning versus it's like, okay, no, like, yes, the conditioning fed into it for sure. But it's also just how our particular brains work. You know, because not everyone is going to respond to that conditioning with this particular pattern. Right. And so I think a big part of like learning to manage OCD in a way that doesn't debilitate your life because, okay, so there's also this like having an obsessive brain, it's a powerful engine. It's a really powerful engine. Like some of the greatest artists are obsessive people. Some of like the people I've contributed amazing things for society are obsessive people. Like there's a certain level of obsession that you have to have as a human being to reach certain levels of excellence. Great things can come from it for sure. And I, I think like I've tried to tell myself that a lot you know, through my journey of this, because it is helpful to know that it's like, there's some days where I feel, oh my God, I wish I didn't have this. Like, as we said before, I don't, I feel like I'm just going to jump out of myself. Like I, how do I get away from this? And then I think certain days, wow. I mean, this is truly a gift that I've been given because I do think one of the reasons why I've been given this gift as an artist is just because like, it's part of the obsessive compulsiveness, you know, like it's, it's, it all goes together. And I've just started to recognize it more than I ever have before. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's beautiful. And I, that's important too. And I try to kind of like reinforce that with my clients and with myself too. It's not like our greatest challenges it, for some reason, this is the human journey. I don't know who wrote this script, 
but our greatest mm-hmm. challenges tend to be coupled with our greatest strengths. Mm-hmm. And so it's just learning how your particular vessel functions and like curating things to that, you know? So it's like, you're not going to put, you know, cheap fuel into a Ferrari essentially. Right. You got to know that you got to know how the operating system works and each operating system is going to require something different. So if you have obsessive tendencies, you're going to have to be particularly mindful of the compulsions. Mm-hmm. You just are. Absolutely. Yep. Paula just called her Leo Asa Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about you that. I love it. I love it. You I'm a Ferrari. <laughs> I'm a little Fiat. I whip around these streets. You can't treat yeah. a race a race car like a regular ass whatever Honda whatever. It is. No, I love it. I love you. That you're operating in. Love it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, Kristen Georgie, thank you so much for jumping in on this conversation with us. Thank you guys so much. It's I think it's just so important, and I'm so grateful for this platform that you guys have, and to be able to speak out about these kinds of things. Hell yeah. This is, as always, it's going to touch so many people. And if you're listening to this, take it in. And also if there's someone in your life that you think would benefit from this conversation, share it with them because the goal of this is to heal as a community and we're not meant to do this journey alone. Take away the shame. One conversation at a time. It does. Every time you talk about it and open up about it, it like sheds another layer of shame, which Mm -hmm. opens to the healing. Yep. Mm-hmm. 100%. Okay. Where can everyone find your art? You guys got to go check out her art if you haven't. It is freaking beautiful. Thank cool. you. Um, mostly on Instagram. So, Kristen, wait, Kristen Georgie. <laughs> what's my Instagram? God damn it. Kristen Georgie.studio. We'll link it in the show notes anyway, <laughs> so everyone can go see it. Thank mm-hmm. you guys. I love you guys. We love you so much. We miss you. Okay. Come back to me. Come back to LA. I will. I'm coming. (laughs) All right. Bye, my love. Bye. All right, you guys. Tune in Mondays at 6 a.m. EST. Thank you so much for listening. We love you with all of our souls. Los queremos mucho. And be kind to yourselves.